Welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I speak with Michael Sad, a professor in the Department of Communication at Okanagan College in Canada, and he has a business, Core Creators and Peak Presenters. Michael is a remarkable educator who's been on a unique journey of self-discovery and transformation. After a life-altering fitness-related injury, he embarked on a path that led him to teaching in the classroom, a place he never thought he'd find himself. He's committed to making a lasting impact on his students. Drawing from his marketing background, he's here to bridge the gap in student soft skills, emphasizing the importance of critical thinking and public speaking fundamentals. Join us as we explore how taking risks being open to opportunities, and taking advantage of the support of a loving family can open doors to a world of confidence and influence. A lot of insight and great advice from Michael. Enjoy this episode. Uh, I thank you for being on uh, Relatable, and I think we have some similar interests in terms of what we're trying to do out in the world in terms of education and the development of soft skills. And I'm so happy because I feel like you're one of my guests that I don't actually have to explain to you what they are. I don't no. know if you, if you bump up against this, uh, Michael, but I, I feel like I'm still doing a lot of education on uh, people even that have a lot of experience on exactly what soft skills are. So thank you so much for joining. Tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, and I usually, I like to start with what's a typical day like. So tell me a little bit about how you spend your days. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. So I'm a communications professor at uh, Okanagan College in Kelowna, BC in Canada. And I teach primarily everywhere from business writing to public speaking to crisis communications. Just last night, we had a public relations class. And typical day for me is astonishingly early um, so that I can get all of my things out of the way. And so the rest of the day, I can focus on the students' things. And most of the day, we have course we, courses, we have prep. Um, but the majority of my day professionally revolves around the students. And that's always been my focus uh, in terms of academics. I'm a big believer that first and foremost, the students matter. I'm a very applied learning person. So, you know, if if I have the downtime, if I have the office hours, um, if I have any free moments, I take a little stroll around the campus. I want to see my students regularly. I want to be communicating with them. I think it's important to just have that little side conversation. How's it going? What are you up to? How are the other courses going? And, you know, it's also it's also an opportunity for me to say, hey, take my course next semester too. Uh, so that's what a typical day looks like for me. Um, and then come home and mark and wash, rinse and repeat the next day. When you said you get up early to get your stuff done, what does that look like? Are, do you have things that are side projects or other work that you're doing outside of the classroom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I also do course building consultation and my mornings before I get started on everybody else, for me, it is content creation for my socials. 
It is building out my course creation programs. It is check-ins uh, and reviews with my clients. And I try to get that done uh, you know, early on because they're going to have questions throughout the day. They are going to possibly want to meet in the evening or obviously schedule for, for another time. And I figure getting that done first thing in the morning is it's vital for me because the rest of the day it, it can become academic chaos. Um, but also if I don't get it done in the morning because it's my business and it's my thing, it probably won't get done for the rest of the day. Yeah. What's the name of your business? It is Course Builders. Course Builders. Okay. And then remind me, I want to make sure I pronounce your name right. Are you Michael Sad? Sad? Sad like the emotion. S-A-A-D. Sad. Yeah. Oh, is that a hard name to have? <laughs> no, you know what? It's it it it's uh it's an understanding of of the name because I usually get the same the same joke every single time. You seem awfully happy for having that name, but I do tell my students this. I say, if you're going to make a joke, just make sure that you make it original. It's not that I don't find it funny. I just need something new. And I have the benefit of teaching a group of animation students, and they've come up with the best ones. There's Mike Salad, S-A-L-A-D. Uh, and just yesterday, they came up with Mike Mad, Mike Bad, and Mike Chad, and they drew characters for all of them. And that is hilarious. So it it's... Uh, it's a good it's point. Funny. Of yeah. I just interviewed one of my best friends and her name is Marjorie, but her nickname is Moogie. And I've known her for over 40 years and we've made friends based on, you know, her name being unique and turning it into a party trick and having conversations about people trying to say it. And so I do think sometimes if, if just in your name alone, there's something there when people, and you might agree with this, a lot of the coaching I do and the workshops I do, the feedback we get from students and people that I think are early in their career is that they don't necessarily know what to say. They don't know how to start that conversation. They, they feel like they don't want to be embarrassed. And so the idea of like having a hook, right? Like if your name, you know, you've got something there that makes it a little bit easier to to maybe have that conversation or to like get 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 at least it going in terms of that introduction. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think too is that there in many cases, in terms of getting that conversation going, being comfortable in your own skin is a having a bit of humility about it and being able to have such a good sense of self that it's not as much as you're able to make fun of yourself. Um, it's as much as just being comfortable in your own skin. Nothing bothers me. If you're going to make a joke about uh, a name, you can you can make a joke about anything uh, about me. I know what I'm about, right? I, I like myself, but also it took a few years to shelf the ego and be okay with yourself to say that literally nothing can bother me because you can't say anything about me that I don't know already. And when it comes to students, when you see students who are 18, 19, 20, and either there is a fragile ego or just not a good sense of self, it's quite difficult to communicate that to them, to say, listen, it's okay to be okay with yourself. And, you know, every once in a while you see it click, maybe two or three years later when you see them as upper year students, it really starts to click, mm -hmm. but it's so interesting to look back and look at the students and go, oh, that, 
that was me at one point. And you almost can look back at the students and almost travel back in time and almost look in a mirror and see the person that you were and the type of communicator that you were. Um, we you... had a, um, Oh, go ahead. We, sorry. We had a, uh, we had, a, I had a student, uh, James, and I remember James, you know, smart kid, handsome kid, right? He, he, he had all the things going for him and he constant negative self-talk constant. And he's like, Oh, you know, I'm not too good at this and I'm not too great at this. And you know, it was so funny looking at him like, James, you got to cut the negative self-talk, man. But what was so funny about that is looking at it and going, oh, that was me at one point. And looking at it and going, this is not a good point of communication. You're not sharing your strengths, James. Do you feel like part of that, when you talk about the negative self-talk, do you think part of that too is self-deprecating? I've noticed that too, like the idea of people, and that's what I used to do a lot was it was all about making people laugh at the expense of myself. And sometimes that works really well. And it's it's a way to, I think, help people feel connected and you kind of your egos in check. Uh, I think there there is a point in which that becomes not as productive. And so when you say that negative self-talk, I think there's the, the obvious version of that, of what people's would you directly hear people talking negatively about themselves and then there's also the self-deprecating the sarcastic and knowing like time and place for that one of the things i wanted to ask you as a follow-up to your other thing around for you and your own growth in that area what do you think helped you to be comfortable in your own skin because i think one of the things that i've figured out along the way but based on just my own life experience but being in sort of the, what I would characterize as the people industry for a long time is this idea that the more authentic you are and the more the closer you are to who who you are the easier everything is it just it's more comfortable and success happens pretty you know it, it's just closely aligned so for you there can you think back to what are the things that really helped you to do that Absolutely. There was actually a, a, a quite a defining moment in my yeah. life. And yeah. it, it actually pinpoints to exactly what you said about mm. authenticity. And so when I was about 17, I got I discovered fitness. I discovered the gym. I was a big kid. I got in shape, uh, discovered running, discovered weightlifting and loved it. Loved it. I was, I was in shape for the first time in my life. But as also a fragile egoed youth in high school who finally was in shape and felt good about himself, uh, I used fitness as a mechanism for my confidence and it was my shield. And for years, if I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't this weight, if I wasn't fitting into these clothes, if I wasn't doing this, then I wasn't the best version of me. Of course, I was continuing to put up a shield. And as, as I'm sure you know, as well as I do, when you put up a shield that hides authenticity, that hides vulnerable, uh, you know, a vulnerable nature. And many, many years later, I was lifting too hard in the gym. I wasn't stretching. I wasn't taking care of myself in that regard. I got injured. I couldn't lift weights. I couldn't do, I couldn't do a pushup for three years until I figured out what the issue was. Oh, wow. But in that time, and it was a, it was a tough three years. Uh, I was at my lowest low, but I had the one thing taken away from me that was my source of confidence, 
And when you have that big thing taken away from you, you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what kind of person are you? What are your true strengths? And you have to do it from a point of vulnerability. And you have to do it from a point of authenticity. And it was in that moment that I discovered, okay, you are, you're a smart guy. You're a capable guy. You're considerate. You know how to communicate. You know how to carry yourself. You have a good career, all these things. And you start to truly realize and embrace the things that maybe you knew but ignored for all of those years. And luckily, you know, my health was given back to me. And, but once it was, I wasn't using, you know, fitness or whatever as that shield, as that mechanism, because I'd been living as this authentic self for so long. And that was the perspective shift. The negative self-talk didn't make sense anymore. The self-deprecating humor didn't make sense anymore because there was really no room for it. I didn't feel that ego was needing to be protected because it went away a long time ago. It was literally taken away and you, it was a remarkable you, transformation. Do you feel like in that time that um, you couldn't work out, did you gain weight back? Or no. were you able to keep the weight off? And so, no. yeah. yeah. And so for you, this idea of like, whatever that defining thing is that, that we, I think we are right that we make a, uh, we, we give a lot of power to certain things. And then if that thing changes or shifts, whatever that is, you know, I think people that lose their job, it can be, it can be the physical, right. Where you, you gained weight or you're sick, you know, people that get sick and they, you know, have to like go through some stuff to be able to come back to their, you know, whatever that is. So whether it's physical or it's material, I think what you're saying that I really make resonates with me is this idea of like, whatever you put the power on and becomes the defining thing, it's, it's almost can be a distraction from what the real stuff is, which is kind of what's, what's your insides, you know, like who you are as a person and, and how you operate in the world. And I think it's really, it's, and it's interesting for you that it was such a defining, like you had this thing happen to you. So it became a very defining moment that you could recognize. Tell me a little bit about how you got to teaching and teaching in this space. Tell me, tell me a little bit, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, in terms of this show and the podcast, we talk a lot about how, how people navigate careers and, you know, what led them. So I, and I love people in higher ed. I just feel like, I, don't, I think, do you call it higher ed in Canada? I don't know. <laughs> uh, post-secondary, post-secondary higher education, okay. academics, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever $10 phrase makes sense in terms of yeah. education. We we'll take it in. <laughs> okay. Okay. But I just think, you know, one, everything that you all do, I just appreciate it so much. And I feel like particularly in the area of what, you know, professional sales, soft skills, whatever you want to call it. Like it's such an important, it's such an important segment. And and now I'm seeing it even more with respect to technology and, and how critical it is that people develop these, these interpersonal skills. So tell me, yeah, tell me a little bit about your path. Yeah, absolutely. It was such an indirect path. Just going back to the high school version of Michael, I leave high school without a shred of confidence. And I think I, I can't do anything magnificent. So I'm going to go to we in Canada, we have two kind of two tiers of post-secondary higher ed. Uh, so we have university and then we have college, which probably would be uh, equivalent to community college in, in the United States. 
but in Canada, um, the credentials, we have pathways that go to the university. So I said, I'm going to community college. I'm going to take an advertising diploma. I thought I was a creative right-brained person, but I never thought I was capable of doing anything beyond that. And I ended up taking this advertising program and I had this faculty of individuals who, I mean, they were the most inspiring, unbelievable, amazing people I'd ever met. They, you know, they said, here's your confidence. You can be an amazing person. You can be incredible. And we never, our group of students, we never wanted to dis disappoint them, but they also inspired us. And I remember when I graduated from that, I just said, I would love to be back in these hallways doing exactly this, inspiring people the way that I became inspired. And life goes on. I went and did more education. I went to university, I went and got a master's degree. And then I worked in marketing for about 10 to 15 years, uh, marketing and stakeholder engagement. And I was working in uh, external relations at a university. And there was a public relations program that they were starting. And the dean of that uh, program, he knew me uh, or and he got in touch with me and asked if I wanted to teach a fundraising class. And I absolutely, yes, this is great. And I remember walking in to the first class and it was the most terrifying thing on the face of the earth because it was that reality of everybody goes silent and, you, and then you go, oh no, I have to teach you something for the next hour and 20 minutes. And I have to do this twice a week for the next 13 weeks. And it, but you know what? It just hit the ground running. And right around halfway through the semester, I mean, these, these kids were terrified. They were uh, timid. They were, they were kids. And we had them do a mock press conference. And about halfway through the semester, they get up in our studio at, at the campus. They're polished. They're professional. They're answering questions to these like actual reporters and journalists that we brought in. And I was like a proud parent. And I just went, I'm watching this transformation happen right in front of me. I can't do anything else. I, I don't want to do anything else in life. This is it. This means so much to me. And that was pretty much the trajectory. I um, There was some courses that were drying up at, at the college and I said, well, I, got, I have to teach. So I applied everywhere, everywhere across the country. And I ended up getting hired at uh, Okanagan College uh, out in Kelowna, BC. And I'd never been to BC in my life. I had never been pretty much uh, outside of Ontario other than traveling around in the United States. So I'd never really seen Canada that much. I, you know, I, I put everything in a moving truck, drove out here with my brother. Uh, he flew back, but I've been here for eight eight years now. Um, I became a better educator. I still see the value in education. Um, and it, it truly matters to me. But the biggest thing is, I don't take it for granted. Um, I think it is a privilege to be able to be in a classroom. And I feel very lucky to be able to do what I do. And I think that's what drives me to still 10 years later as an educator, be better at my job, because I don't, I don't feel that I deserve to be in a classroom. I feel lucky to be in the classroom mm -hmm. and that continues to drive me to be better. How hard was it to, cause that's such a big move to, to leave, you know, an area that you were really comfortable in and you said you hadn't traveled extensively. So 
How risky was that for you in terms of, wow, I'm, I'm really, not only am I changing at my profession, so that's a huge change. And now I'm, I'm going to, you know, pack up and move. And, you know, I think in any scenario that you're describing, there's no guarantees. It was going to be new territory for you. So how did you, how, how risky was that? Were you, you were kind of like at that point, like I'm just all in and I've got tons of adrenaline and I've, you know, you're kind of at the jump or did you have to really say, you know, I know I'm risking something here and we just have to see how it goes. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. You know what? It was a, it was a strange let's let's see what happens situation. I have the benefit of having a wonderful family. Uh, yeah. My my parents and my brother and, and sister-in-law are incredible. And I had a lot of talks. I had a lot of talks about it with them. And I think I think my mom put it right. And she says, it doesn't matter where you are. Your family will find you. And yeah. you if it doesn't work, you just come back. And it was it, it, so it was a big leap of faith because I come from a community where essentially, you know, you don't really leave or you don't go far. Right, mm-hmm. you might go a couple hours down the road, but you don't go this far. So that that was very new uh, territory. The fact that I couldn't go home on weekends, and this was also a one year contract. There was no guarantee for this. But what drove me to chase this was the idea of you get to educate students for at least another year. Yeah. You get to do exactly what you love for another year take the adventure, go and see what happens. And if nothing else, you have an opportunity to gain more experience and ultimately be better at your job. And that, that was kind of the driving factor. Um, what was I going to stay here? I have, I couldn't possibly have told you, I didn't know I was going to even end up out here, but you know, when you find something that you truly love, whether it is a job, a person, or otherwise, it's amazing the distances you will go to make sure you can have that. Yeah. And I think for too, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this. What I love about what you shared in terms of your journey with respect to having 10 years in business and in a in a capacity and in industry, so to speak, I I do think having that plus the education aspect of being able to provide an experience to students that where they have this real life application. So I, I started my career in campus recruiting and I would go to campus and I would, I would recruit students. And I felt like there was often a disconnect between what's happening in the academic environment and how students are being prepared by people that have spent their tenure in academia (laughs) Versus having some of that real world experience to shape and I think give perspective. I just think there's a lot to that that really benefits students. And the fact that you had that experience and then you love the transformational aspect and then are able to kind of combine those things. I think it just makes for really good ingredients to have to have that kind totally. of impact. Totally. I was I was a recruiter too before yeah. I before I started. Did you go do the presentations in the high schools? 
Yeah. I did. I was more on campus, like in, in college campuses. So we would yeah. go and do what we called like info nights. And so mm-hmm. you'd mm-hmm. have your students there and then some of them would be selected for the next day for on-campus mm-hmm. interviewing and and that, and that kind of, and then, so, and it, I worked for, it would in the States was a pretty competitive organization. And so we were lucky in that we got a lot of great talent that was interested, but I, I just is so interesting. And I see it today now with with, with with students and in interviewing in terms of interviewing prep and how to interview and the ability to do that effectively. I think there's a lot they can learn from people in industry because I think times have changed and just being out there is a little bit different than that academic environment. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm kind of always at odds in the college environment where I look at, we have essentially two two sets of people. We have educators that come from industry and then educators who do not. And there are strengths and weaknesses on either side. But when I go into a classroom, I would say the majority of examples that I give are from the career I had in marketing, from the career I had in communications. Uh, You know, I I would go in and, and talk about you know uh, why your why your writing matters why technical writing matters why technical communication matters because if you are not giving proper things to another team you're not training another team properly you could be you could be liable your organization could be liable there could be legal issues your reputation could suffer and i have seen it uh, several times over i have seen very toxic relationships with uh, superiors. I have seen teams that work together not so great and teams that work together phenomenally. And if you're not exposed to those things, oftentimes in academics, I mean, you do work in a department, but it really is a, a bit of a choose your own adventure when you go to the classroom and not having the team atmosphere, not be, not having that experience to you know, work with a manager, work with a director. It's no different than working with a dean, working with a vice dean, right? Working with a department chair. Those are transferable skills. And if you if you have those in industry where I think it is, it's much more consistent, it's much more regular, you do that on a day-to-day basis, then when you get into that post-secondary environment, that higher ed environment, it's it's a simple transferable skill. And you can see it. You can see it in how that communication happens between different faculty members. Let's talk a little bit about the courses you teach and your students. And I'm fascinated given you have this great view into our future leaders and you're able to see some of their strengths and you're able to see some of those development opportunities. And so I think I'd like to first start with where do you see some of the gaps in terms of the students you see now with respect to, and I'll, I'm going to name a couple of skills and then maybe you pick. Okay. <laughs> um, All because right. I know you, you, um, you know, so public speaking, collaboration, critical thinking, and influence. Let's take those skills in particular. Those are the skills that I see in the consulting work that I do that are where people are, you know, if I think about people, both entry-level talent and experienced talent, where we see some gaps. So I'm curious of those skills and, you know, where do you, what are you seeing? You know, are you seeing 
some gaps and opportunities for development for students and you know where should they double down from your yeah, perspective absolutely. in terms of spending I think time? I think the number one skill where there is gaps is critical thinking interesting um, yeah yeah so I um one of the classes that we teach direct critical thinking is we teach uh, professional writing. We teach business writing to students mm -hmm. and they, they always think it's an English class. They always think it's an English class. And so I always set that precedent. I say, this is not an English class. It's a business writing class, but we teach critical thinking and the very simple idea of what idea do you have? What do you think of this? What lines can you find? Where can you find the gaps? Where can you read between the details? It's a big ask. It is, it's a remarkably big ask. And the students have a bit of trouble wrapping their heads around it. Because I, I think in our current culture of social media and just rapid, rapid content, students and just people in general are being fed so much information. There's never a moment where you have a moment to contemplate that information. Mm -hmm. What do I think of this information? And I often give the example, I say, you know, there was a time where the term I don't know existed in our culture. And I, I tell my students, you know, if somebody said to you, hey, who won the 1994 World Series? You'd have to go to the library and look up the almanac. And then I ask them and I say, it's a trick question. Nobody won the 1994 World Series. They were on strike. But <laughs> they, but they, it's that idea of where am I finding this information? Because they're being fed so much information, they don't they don't know that concept of almost being hungry to find it. So I think that's that is the number one issue that I see is that the critical thinking skills are suffering. In terms of influence in public speaking, I actually think those those are so directly related. And I actually think that when it comes to public speaking, most students are, they're not bad, but I don't think they have a fundamental understanding of their own strengths. So you have a, you ask a student and you say, do you, do you hate presentations? Yep. I hate presentations. I've never been a good public speaker. It's just part of, part of my personality. And that really is for, the, uh, for, for any student, really it's, it's a mental shift and but they've also never really been in a situation to test their presentation skills, to test their public speaking skills. And so when we put them in that situation, you know, it doesn't take long for them to figure it out. It doesn't take long for them to make that mental shift, make a few adjustments and really start to become quite good at it. And I've seen it from really polished business students, um, other business students who are terrified of stepping up on stage, but also animation students, tech students, computer information students. And it's the idea of you're scared of something that you haven't done much of. And once we put them out there, once we get them a few fundamental skills, a few things happen. They start to realize confidence and they start to say, oh, this is not scary. And then the big question is, well, what else in my world isn't scary? And so it's, it's almost a, a gateway to other things. But then they start to realize that if they're, as we've said, if they're authentic, if they're vulnerable, if they don't put public speaking up on a pedestal, they go, oh, people start to listen. 
And if I am polished and professional and I carry myself in a certain way and I can avoid my ums and ahs and actually take a pause, then they can see that they have a little bit of influence and they Absolutely. roll with me. So it's a bit of a gateway. So the, the gap of public speaking, that's an interesting one because it really, it's almost like a roller coaster. It varies, but most students don't have consistent opportunities for presentations. So then you see, you know, we're producing accountants, lawyers, HR reps, marketers, and they're getting into the industry without those soft skills or without having been able to practice those soft skills. And, and then it, it becomes a bit of an issue for them in that regard, because where are they going to learn it? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting. I, 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 I think it's great to point out that what, one of the things I love about public speaking and that type of training, you mentioned before the word transformation. I'm also, I would characterize myself as a transformation junkie. <laughs> And I really enjoy seeing people grow and transform and develop. And I feel like public speaking is one of those areas, no matter to your point, you can be pretty polished or really comfortable in front of a room. There's always room to improve that. There's always room to always. fine tune it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm getting coaching now because I, I'm having a little bit more luck with, with some on-camera stuff, but I've hired people to say, okay, you know, and I've spent better parts of two decades working on this skill and mm. still trying to figure out how to do it better. And so it, th just the idea of putting, you know, taking the class. So if, if you're someone that's listening and you're debating what elective or if public speaking isn't required, should I take it? Yes, you should take it. Take you it. Take yeah. it. And, um, and even in business, right? So we're, we offer it at a place where I do a lot of consulting and it's like, you know, so one of the leaders is like, everybody's taking it. And that's what we need. Yeah. We need more people requiring it because it's such a, it's such a gift. It's such a, a tool to have. And to your point, if, if you can articulate your thoughts and your perspective, and then your ability to influence through that, and some of it's not on a stage public speaking, it's I'm in a meeting and I have a room, right? And, and that's the idea too, of an education of it isn't just behind the podium. It's how do I, on a group call or a team call, or I need to influence an outcome, how do I do that? And that's where some of those skills come in that I find uh, are are there for the taking. It's not like, not all of us can do calculus. Yeah, no. <laughs> there's, there's a shelf like, but you know, some of this stuff that I think it's available if you just put yourself into it and try for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I, I teach I teach a public speaking course to some upper year students, and I also do corporate training in public yeah. speaking as well. And you know what? It's there's no difference. There's no difference between <laughs> a third so and true. second year student yep. and you know a a, a seasoned manager uh, or director in in industry. They're both equally terrified, and it just comes so from true. not not having that training. And so it's it's one of those skills where you're exactly right, Teresa. Like if you have an opportunity to take it, yeah. take it. I, I say to to any student in public speaking, at before I start, whether it's my training sessions or whether it's the course uh, at school, I say I'm by the end of this, you are going to have communication superpowers. And mm -hmm. usually you get someone looking at uh, most people looking at you going, all right. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, yeah. and then by the end of it, 
you know, it's funny. There's a lot of them that embrace it. I had one student come up and they had to do a demonstration presentation, guide us through something. And he said, I'm going to show you how to put on your cape because now you have a superpower. And <laughs> it's, it's, but it's small things. Yeah. It's small things, but take it if you can. I like to say that, you know, in high school, we all had the opportunity to take auto shop and someone like myself who just was kind of the, the introverted nerd, never took it. And now I'm thinking, you mean to tell me that I had an opportunity to take four months of auto training for free and I never did? Yeah. Take it. Take the things that terrify yeah. you. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of that, because you just, you just opened the door there in terms of you said you sort of self-proclaimed, but introverted and somewhat nerdish. So for mm. for for the people out there, this is the other thing that I d dispel a lot of myths in a lot of the work that I do, which is everyone believes that extroverts are good at this and introverts are bad. And I think it's really important that we stop saying that <laughs> because totally it's not agree. true. Not and true. that, and that if you, if you believe in that myth or you believe that hype, then you'll create barriers and obstacles that that are self-limiting. And so in your experience as, as someone that's more maybe on the introverted side, tell me just a little bit about that and how you've helped shape some of your, you know, I'm sure you have introverted students too, just to help yeah. them break out, break that myth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think it, first and foremost, it's that mindset shift. Um, yeah. You know, the, it's, it's, I had a my one of my advertising professors, Jeff Walther. It, you know, I I he often said, "Repetition is the essence of learning. Repetition is the essence of learning. Repetition is the essence of learning." And it's that idea of if you repeat behaviors and you repeat belief systems. So going back to our discussion of uh, self-deprecating humor and negative self-talk, if you repeat even just the self-talk or you repeat a certain behavior, you're going to believe it. And that is the same thing with positive behaviors and positive self-talk. If you start to say to yourself, no, I don't believe this about myself, or no, I can do better, then incrementally, you're going to start to believe that. And so that's the first thing is we have to shift that belief system. The other thing that people believe about communications and speaking and especially introverts and those who are shy on stage, the biggest thing they say is it's all part of my personality. Well, there's a difference between your personality and a skill. And you can grow a skill. I mean, oops, excuse me. Personality takes a bit of work, right? You, you have to, you know, really work out some habits, but a skill you build like anything. Yes. And so you can you can become a better runner by just keeping at it. You can become a better piano player by just keeping at it. Communications, communication skills, public speaking and soft skills are, as the title says, a skill. And like anything else, you can grow it and develop it. You just need to stay consistent with it and have a better mentality about it. It's not your personality. Oh my gosh, it's like preach. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's just, uh, it's so true. And I, I feel like if we, the people like you and I that feel so passionately about this, if we can just 
triple down, quadruple down on that education and really help people to understand. I, I just sometimes work with eighth graders with some of the stuff and it's pretty, you know, it's early. So they're yeah. sometimes looking at me like, what that, why am I even having to do this? And it's like, I just want a couple of seeds planted. And that's one of them. Like, don't believe the hype. If you're, if you're somewhat introverted, they, those can be some of the most compelling, interesting, charismatic people. And so just that idea of like you, you, to your point, it is a skill like anything else. Um, so on the, so we talked about the gaps. I think I want to, as we're sort of on this train of positive mindset and thinking and reframing, what do you see in the population that gives you hope or that you see as some strengths in the students as it relates to this area? I know, I suspect they're, you know, and from a tech perspective, they're, they're super advanced <laughs> and probably better at, at, you know, using technology to their advantage. I'm curious in the soft skill space, what do you see that, that you're like, oh, that gives me hope or I'm, I'm feeling better about where we are given, you know, our future leaders in the space. Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get a promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, we are 8,000 listeners and 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. That's a great question. I think that students, because they're so in touch with current technologies, emerging technologies, and they've, they've literally been born into a technological world, right? you and I remember an organic world. They mm -hmm. have been born into this world that is completely connected. They have such an interesting perspective of what is available, what can be done. And they almost seem hungrier earlier. Mm -hmm. And it's so fun to see because they've been exposed to so much more in terms of careers, in terms of opportunities, in terms of what could be. And they have these wild ideas so early. And it's so funny to see like when we were, you know, in 17, 18, 19, 20 and super energetic. Imagine that only we had all the information that we had when we were, say, like reaching the end of our 20s and really settling into our career. They have all of that information. And they're, it's almost like they're constantly playing catch up. And they say, oh, I, I want to know more. I want to know more. I want to know more. I had, um, I had one student, and I, I think it's a perfect example. He wants to get into um, corporate investments, corporate finance. And he was talking to me. And he goes, you know, I saw this online. I saw, you know, I saw this concept online, and uh, it's called networking. And, <laughs> and uh, he's, you know, he's a kid. Yeah, he's a kid, yeah. and I just—it's hilarious. And he says, "You know, I, 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 I sent an email to this guy, and I uh, really wanted to thank him, really wanted to impress him. So, you know, I, I bought him some uh, custom embroidered golf towels." <laughs> and I'm like, "This is this kid, right? He's a kid." And there was this other, this other kid. Not to, not to go on too long here, but this other kid, you know, he was 
he was so exposed to the world of sales and that hustle. And he just had this confidence about him because he wanted to break into that world. And I will, I'll never forget, we had a class and he, he handed in an assignment late and I said, I'm not taking it. And he was stewing about it. You could see he was stewing about it the entire class. And after class, he goes, Mike, can I, uh, can I talk to you outside? And I went, all right, all right, Dylan. And so we went outside and he leans, you know, he leans right over the railing, takes a long pause and he goes, so uh, that assignment, Mike, what can we do about that? <laughs> and I burst out laughing and I just went, okay, give me the assignment. I mean, you, you're, you know, like this little Jordan Belfort, like you just, <laughs> but, but the great thing is, is that he had that hustle mentality so young that he actually started working for one of the other professors who uh, entrepreneur in town owned quite a, a few breweries. And when he was opening up one of the breweries, I believe he gave the student a bit of equity in it because he had that just that hustle at such a young age and i think the strength to kind of condense it the strength of the emerging generation is because they're being exposed uh or have the the ability to be exposed to so many avenues so many people who have success so many methods of success that they're hungry to learn it all at a younger age and i think it's amazing agree i love that and i think the idea of it's almost like you could pair that with the critical thinking and you'd be unstoppable because I think oh. there is so much of that you're consuming so much. So the idea of like, we, we joke around in our house, like, well, I read it. It's like, does that make it true? <laughs> I don't know that that makes it true. So, yeah. you know, this idea. <laughs> So this idea of, oh, I, I, I've learned something now, let me validate it. Now let me question it. Whereas I think maybe for us, it was more built in. It was harder to get the information. And so you you had to check five different sort. You know, there was more of that QA built into maybe the work as we were taught. And so I think that, but I love those two stories. I'm such a fan. I tell all the students I work with and the, even in the corporate space, relationships, relationships with your teachers, relationships with your peers, relationships with your super, like all of that, you know, and the ability to really connect, it just opens doors. It, it opens opportunities. I've heard over and over now from different teachers and professors that it can be a difference in a grade. It's just oh, yeah. teachers and humans. And so yeah. that, you know, yes, you're objective to a point, but there's that when you're thinking of that person and you're putting stuff in the book, you know, there's, something that's going to happen there that might work in their favor. You know, I, I had, uh, I had a friend of mine send me uh, one of, one of the now probably thousands of AI apps. And mm -hmm. she said, Oh, look at this app. It will grade a paper for you. And I said, okay, let me, let me check this out. Yeah. And I wanted to see it. I, I kind of knew what it was going to do, but I put in two papers and one paper was really good and one paper was not really good okay. and it graded it they graded graded both papers with the same level of intense critique and i think that is where when you know back to your point about you know student improvement and getting better and you know having that leeway to say we are just human is that you know if you can see a student come in and you can say, okay, you were a C student and you know what? You've been putting in the work 
and you have elevated yourself to a B, that is amazing. And so you know, the, the comparison I draw to this AI app is that it never draws the comparison of the human element mm-hmm. in that it's going to grade you the same way and it's not going to recognize, okay, I don't have to spend maybe this much time grading this student because they're good. But this student, I have to spend a little bit more time, but has that student improved? Have that student gotten better? Um, you know, are they moving up where they need to go? And did it grade it the way that you would have graded it? I am curious about that. Like in terms of- No. Just... Really? No, no. It, 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 it was so, it put so much rigor in like- if a student, if there is an A plus student and they produce a top shelf paper, that uh, software was so wildly critical. Like it nitpicked and you're like, you don't have to nitpick this. This is a good paper. This is a good paper. Right. And it nitpicked to an acceptable level of the, the lesser paper, but it also didn't encourage improvement. It didn't recognize that there's a human behind this who wants to get better, who wants to grow. Um, it says, well, here's where you went wrong. And Okay, but you know, are you gonna make are you gonna make them want to do better? So um, I yeah. think that's such a good opportunity to see it in practice. I, I feel like there it's such a conversation now. So I mean, we'd be remiss, I think, not to to bring it up, particularly as it relates to the world of soft skills and communication. Given that's what we're both into, but I think this idea of the human element, human judgment being able to take what it can offer you, which is maybe a great starting point, and then, you know, morph it and change it. Let's talk a little bit about soft skills then from your perspective. I know you talked a bit about critical thinking. Is there other skills either that you're teaching or that you are finding in your consulting business and your external, you know, business outside of academia that people are looking for uh, more training and development? Because I think when I ask the soft skills question, part of my interest in that question is what do we need to develop and what are the ones that really set you up for success? And I, I certainly have an opinion on that, but you and the communities that you're in and the people that are hiring you to do work, what do you think are the you know top two critical soft skills that you're seeing right now that are super important that people should be strengthening and developing? Yeah, absolutely. I think right now, and something that quite surprises me, and and I go back to that uh, story with the student who discovered networking, is the strategy behind networking and the concept of really improving your interpersonal communication skills and being comfortable enough to properly reach out to somebody, properly foster a relationship in a way that is productive and is going to allow you to move somewhere and leverage that in your career. And I think I'm seeing a lot of people who they have a genuine curiosity because they feel very uncomfortable to do it. You know, one thing that I, I talk about with uh, some groups and they they want to put together a course and they want to build a course and they say, well, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know who to get in touch with maybe in my niche or in my space to, um, you know, to grow my audience or to get better known. And I, I said, have you just reached out to them? Have you asked to just have a conversation with them? Well, I, I don't know. Is that, is that being, you know, is that being irritating? No, no. If you, if you reach out and have a, a genuine 
curiosity to say, I, I'm seeking help and I would love to get any advice. I, I found that most people are so willing to help. I mean, we have, you know, in the world of social media, most of the DMs you get are are from people wanting to sell you, like, let me let me scale your business. Let me scale your business. And it, uh -huh. but it always starts out with, hey, how's it going? Love your stuff. Yeah. And I say if we yeah. can if we can actually create a more organic but direct communication in terms of networking abilities, then you know, you you're already miles above someone else because you want to borrow people's audiences. You want to leverage other people's audiences as well. You want to enter their network. And there is nothing wrong with sitting someone down and saying, listen, I want to grow my network and I would love to learn from you. And if you can offer any help, that would be amazing. In my, um, you know, in my consulting, when I first got started, I reached out to other people. I reached out to other local people too. I took one or two out for lunch and I said, what can I do? How can I get myself known? And I got great advice from one and the other sat me down and said, I am so glad that you met with me. I have so many people I would love to introduce you to. Yeah. And all it took was just getting in touch. And it's such a, a, an interesting yet simple concept that many people are hesitant to do and to have that conversation to say reach out and say this is i i probably say that to more clients than than i say anything else reach out and say this and then follow it up with this and usually it's hi how are you my name is blank i'm doing this and i'm wondering if you have some time to chat and it's it goes back to that authenticity and vulnerability just be real it's so incredible, the power of network. And I wish there was the idea of networking. When people hear that word, most people kind of have this a grimace or they there's just an immediate negative connotation. And to your point, not to keep coming back to this, but I just feel it's so important is that idea of a growth mindset and reframing what networking means. And it, it really does mean connecting of people. <laughs> and, and you, if you think about it in terms of what would you do for a friend, how would you help somebody that might reach out to you? If you, most people to your point are really open and want to help. And so if you yourself feel that way, why wouldn't someone else? And particularly, I think you're in that, you're in the student environment too, where a lot of these students People that are more seasoned in industry a lot really do want to help. And if they don't have an opportunity, they don't have a job, they certainly have a network or they might have some advice. So this idea of exactly what you said, like, hello, I'm so-and-so, and this is what I'm trying to learn, or this is what I'm trying to do. I, I think you're right. It's just that one step to take. So I, I love that you use networking as, as, as your example, because I do feel like it's applicable across all... <laughs> Like no matter yeah. where you are in your career, you need it. Yeah. And I mean, it takes, it takes nothing to have a conversation. Right. It's and, free. But, but also the one thing to keep, and this is what I think a lot of people are, it's, it's kind of the catch 22. A lot of people are afraid of networking because there is a belief system about themselves. Well, I don't want them to think that I'm this, you know, green person in, uh, in my career, I'm just getting started. I have no experience. Yeah, but also if you're vulnerable and you're authentic and you say, hey, I'm very new, I'm trying to learn, please help me. 
oh, I, I can't tell you how many times you get someone saying, I'm going to root for you. And I did it myself. There was when I first started on uh, course building and course consultation, uh, you know, I didn't get a lot of traction. I had a friend of mine who she did, I believe um, she did quiz marketing. So she would, you know, mark, get leads with quizzes. And, you know, we talked so much about it. And I said, oh yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And then a lot of the stuff didn't work. And I straight up messaged her and I said, Don, I don't know what I'm doing. I need <laughs> your help. Yeah. Do you like, do you have an, you know, can, do you have some time to help? I will obviously pay you for your time. And her response was, send me, send me your links. I'm going to take a look at them and I'll send you a response. She sent me a, like a loom link where she, she went through it for like half an hour. And I said, you know, what, what can I pay? She says, you don't got to pay me anything. Uh, I'm just, so, I'm happy to help. But it was literally just a vulnerable, authentic uh, communication of, hey, I really respect what you do. And I'm wondering if you can use those expertise to help me and help me learn. And now, now I'm good. Yeah. Right. Awesome. All right. And then before we wrap up here, tell me a little bit about the advice you would give to young Mike or Michael, which you prefer, Mike or Michael? <laughs> uh, at work, it really depends. At work, I'm usually Michael. Anywhere else, I'm usually Mike. And there's only two people in the world that can call me Mikey. Okay. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So if you were to put your arm around him and uh, I kind of like the 25 year old, you know, you're just, you know, you're just sort of starting out. And, and I feel like you've already been so open about some of these intersection points for you. Tell me a little bit about advice that you would give him just to make the path a little bit easier. Obviously I'm not looking to like change anybody's course dramatically, but just something that might help, help reduce anxiety. I would tell young Michael, get out of your own way mm -hmm. and don't worry about it as much because it doesn't matter as much as you think. Yeah. And um, it being relationships, the girls, the schooling, the job, it doesn't matter as much as you think. And it's it, it literally is. It's the literal Ferris Bueller quote, life moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop and look around, you might miss it. And that is what I would say, because I look back at young Mike and I go, Oh boy, you got, you got a long road ahead and, um, and it was a very productive road and it was a great road. And, um, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I traveled it. Yeah. And it feels like just based on the short time we spent together, you're someone that's super open to that growth and development and being self-aware and reflective. And, and the fact that you had the thing that I love about what you shared with me is that you had an experience where you felt a real connection in terms of the working in academia or teaching and feeling like, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is what I need to be doing. And then followed it. I mean, I think a lot of people have that and then think of all the reasons they shouldn't, particularly mm -hmm. someone that had already spent 10 years driving in a certain direction in a career. So I think perfectly situated for relatable in terms of this pivot moment and making a decision based on that. And that idea of like, once you find the thing and you really like it and you're really passionate, it just flows and it's easy and it doesn't feel like work. You know, there was um, the killers, uh, <laughs> the killers band, Brandon flowers. He wrote a, a song called boy and it's about his son 
And what he was noticing with his son is as his son grew up, he was noticing that his son was following the same patterns as he was, which was his son wanted to like leave. He wanted to go off on his own adventure. Brandon Flowers did the same thing. But what he found was as he moved away and as he got older, he started seeing the, the white arrows pointing him back to the things that truly mattered. And I think for anybody who is on that path and maybe frustrated, frustrated with themselves personally or professionally, whatever you're battling against, if you're starting a new career, if you're going back to school for the next, you know, for the second time to start a second career, you know, when those arrows present themselves, follow them because yeah, sometimes they're uncomfortable, but, but when they present themselves, they usually lead you to the right destination. Yeah. I love it. It was so nice to meet you. It really, I really appreciate uh, you reaching out and it's been a real enjoy, enjoyable to speak with you. And I, you know, wish you nothing but the best. Tell me again, your business name so we can make sure we get that right. Yeah. It's called Course Creators. And um, if, if some specialization, if you specifically uh, would like some uh, consultation in public speaking and presentation skills, I also have a company called Peak Presenters. Oh, cool. Oh, right on. All right. We'll make sure to get those in the, in the show notes. And I just appreciate the time. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thank you. You as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Your story was encouraging and inspiring. I loved hearing about how you overcame so many obstacles while remaining true to yourself. And I liked what you said about the importance of thinking critically and the ability to speak publicly. Two key soft skills. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our relatable community. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe and rate us on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.